Well, hey, church, glad to see you here this morning. Before we get really to start off this morning, I'd just like to ask a question real quick. Um, have you ever been betrayed? You ever felt betrayed? Okay. And I mean, you know, even back when you were kids, like your brother or sister ratted you out to mom. You know what I'm talking about? That ever happened? All right. Some of you guys are like, no, that never happened. Because you were the rat. Okay. Um, just saying. Or you had a best friend or a good friend that uh, you thought had your back. You guys have been through the thick and thin. And uh, all of a sudden you find out through a series of circumstances that actually they don't have your back. And that's not, um, you know, how they viewed your friendship or whatever it might be. Um, I felt that way this week. I was betrayed. Um, this week, well, as most of you know, I, uh, I, Kate and I, we moved to Tiffin a few months ago. And so I've been wanting to immerse myself in Tiffin culture you know, to really become one of you guys. And so I'm a Tiffinite now. And, uh, and so I went this week for the very first time in my life to the Seneca County Fair, okay? <laughs> Woo, yeah. You get to see all the types of Tiffin people there, okay, all at one spot. And so, uh, and so not only did I go to the fair for the very first time, and actually I've lived in Seneca County for over, you know, over, you know more than the last decade, for a long time. I just have never gone. And so uh, not only did I go to the fair for the first time, but I actually worked the fair, okay? So I dove head first into this thing. Um, we had somebody last week call, and they were asking us if our church or someone from our church would be interested in manning a gate uh, for the day on Wednesday. And so, AJ, we got together, and we were like, okay, uh, maybe, you know, what if, we, what if we did this all day so we didn't have to ask anybody, really? And so we're like, we'll do this from 7.30 in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, and we'll wear our gray shirts. Yeah, it's a long time. It was hot, and it rained. Okay. We had all the weather, and, uh, and we're like, we'll wear our gray shirts, we'll be standing right there, we'll be seeing, you know, we'll be saying hi to everybody, and um, we'll get to meet people, and it'll just be like a good thing, you know, that's like what we're thinking. And so um, we got there, actually AJ got there on time, and I was there late, along with uh, a buddy of ours, Brian Grimm, who you guys, who also goes to church here, he's a uh, coach at Heidelberg, and, uh, and so us three, we're going to like do this all day. And so um, when I got there, what I found out was that actually the people who manage the gates at the Seneca County Fair for the entire week are uh, people that come here. It's Joan and Tom uh, Zimmerman, okay? So people that I already knew and I like. So I'm like, oh, man, this is great. Okay, we'll be working for them. This will be good. It'll be fun. And uh, at some point during the day, Joan actually came and she asked us, and we were manning gate two. Okay, we had gate two on lock. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, it was, we, we took care of it. And, um, and so Joan came and she was like, hey, uh, would one of you guys want to uh, kind of run the exit for gate two? It's kind of complicated. Gate two had like an entrance and an exit, but they weren't close to each other, but you could kind of see each other. And so it was all the same gate. I don't know. It's just, I, yeah, I didn't quite understand everything, but I'm like, all right, well, I'll go whatever you need, Joan. I'm, I'm with you. You know, I'm here, here to serve. Got my gray shirt on. I'm feeling good. And so I go and she, we get to this exit only gate and she's like, okay, here's the deal. Um, you just got to make sure, you're basically your only job here is to make sure nobody enters through this gate. And I'm like, okay, that's easy. All right, there's not like parking around or anything like that. Like all I am, I'm just a happy person, smiling, waving to people as they leave, wearing my gray shirt. This will be good because not everybody at the fair is happy, if you know what I'm talking about. All right, there's a lot of unhappy people there. And I'm like, you know, this will be, be good. And so um, what I did not anticipate was the amount of people who were going to be coming up to this gate, gate to exit and uh, trying to get in. And so what I did for like the next few hours was basically tick off half the town as they came. And there's a point where I'm like, I need to turn this shirt inside out. Like, this is embarrassing. Like, 
here's Grace not letting them into the fair. And, and so, I mean, I was turning away all kinds of people. I was turning away, like, you know, like moms pushing strollers with, like, six kids stuffed in there. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry, you can't come through this gate. This is exit only, like the signs say. And I'm like, I can't. Like, I'll get in trouble. And so what you got to do is you got to walk, like, a half mile down to gate one or a half mile down to gate three. And then they'd be like, where is gate three? I'm like, I don't even know. I've never been here before. But I have seen gate one. And so I'm like, you know, I'm, and, and there's not, like, a, you know, they got to walk along the road. People were not happy with me. And uh, there's elderly people. I'm, I'm turning away, like, pregnant people. I'm, like, moms, okay, women, okay, people, okay. And uh, I'm turning away, like, oh, and I'm feeling, like, pretty guilty about it. And I don't think it did our church any favors. And uh, at some point, you know, you start getting comfortable with your job. And I'm like, okay, you know, I got a little clout now. I've been here for 45 minutes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, uh, and I start going, you know, people would come up and they have all these excuses about why they should enter in through the gate. And I would entertain those. You know, I'm like, all right, well, if this is a good excuse, I can bend the rules for you. And so, you know, a person would come up and say, my car is just right on the other side of the gate. Can I leave? And then would you let me back in so I don't have to walk all the way around? I'm like, you know what? I got you. Grace. Don't forget this. You know, Grace Community Church, we're, you know, go ahead. Don't, you know, just remember I did this favor for you. And so they go. And then I have a teenager come and say, my mom's trying to drop me off some money. Can I go grab there? She's right there. And I'm like, man, all right, go, go for it. Don't tell anybody, though. All right, I don't, see, I don't see Tom and Joan around. All right, so this is your chance, but you go quick. Um, I had an elderly couple. They came up, and they're like, we're trying to, you know, they had like weak passes. And so they had already paid. And they're like, oh, this is, and I'm like, I'm sorry, this is exit only. And they're like, this is like, oh, no, we got to walk. And I'm like, yeah, there's no chance you'll make it. All right, come on in. <laughs> you know, I don't see Tom and Joan around. All right, so we're good. Come on in. At one point, a guy in a truck just like pulls right in. I'm like, whoa, right? I'm trying to be discreet, letting little, you know, letting people here in there, you know. Um, but this guy, he just pulls up in his big old truck and he's like, he's like, I'm the judge for the sheep. I got to get in. And I'm like, well, this is exit only. He's like, you don't understand. I'm supposed to be there like five minutes ago. I got to come in. I'm like, well, a sheep judging, like that sounds pretty important for the Seneca County Fair. Come on in. Don't tell anybody though. You know, like that type of thing. And I first make sure Joan and Tom aren't around. No one could see. And I thought things were going pretty good. I'm trying to be discreet. And then over the radio, right, we all had radios. Every gate has a radio. The fair board has a radio. Tom and Joan have a radio in their golf cart, all right? Um, the shuttles, they all have radios. The, all the workers of the fair have this radio. And over the radio, I hear, hey, Zach, would you please stop letting people enter through your exit-only gate? <laughs> and it was Brian's voice, right? Like one, of, like one of my own guys, it was Brian and AJ saying that. And I'm just like... You've got to be kidding me. You, I, I'm trying to be discreet here, and here you are blurting it out to everybody. And after, you know, they made it clear, you do not do this. And I'm, like, bending the rules a little bit, you know. And I'm just like, man, like, betrayed, like, stabbed in the back, you know, that, that type of thing. And sure enough, a couple minutes later, two people from the fair board came. And they were like, did you, uh, did you get your message? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, you cannot, under any circumstance, be letting people in through this gate. And I'm like, wow, these people had a pass. They were old, man. And I'm like, you know, this guy, he already drove, like, all the way in almost already. So I was like, just go instead of backing up, you know. And I'm like, I've bent the rules for a few people. And then um, it wasn't long after that that I was relieved of my post. <laughs> and I <laughs> went back to with AJ and Brian. 
And when I found out when I got back was that Brian just said that he didn't see any, me letting anybody in. He was just like, he just did it to like just mess me up, all right, just to make him mad at me, I guess. And so I fessed up to all that stuff for nothing. And so that was a bummer. Um, betrayed, man. I was betrayed. But seriously, have you ever felt that feeling of being betrayed? Like maybe, I don't know, like maybe you hired somebody or maybe you stuck your neck out for somebody at some point and it just, and you got burned, right? Or maybe for you, maybe it was a friend. Again, like you thought that they had you. They thought they were with you, that they had your back. And, and it turns out through a series of events that they actually don't. And you don't even understand what happened. Like you don't even understand why or what they were thinking, even maybe to this day. Or maybe for you it's more serious. Maybe for you it's like back to childhood where your dad had an affair on your mom. And it was more than just he betrayed her. It was like he betrayed the entire family. Or maybe for you it was your spouse a while ago. And, you know, you just don't understand what your wife saw in him that you didn't have. And, and it's painful, right? To be betrayed is painful. It's, it's embarrassing and it hurts. That's probably how the church in this ancient city called Philadelphia felt almost 2,000 years ago at the same time that John writes this message from God to this church, right? Now, we all know how that went. Remember, we've talked about this. That's what we've been looking at for the last few weeks. John, he's, um, he's at the end of his life. He's in his 90s. He has been banished by Rome to this island called Patmos on the Mediterranean Sea uh, where he's working like a prison camp, all right? Not ideal. He's working in like marble mines and everything there. And so at one point, it's on a Sunday morning. We don't know how it happened. We don't know what it looked like. But John, on a Sunday morning, he turns around and he is suddenly in the throne room of God. And Jesus starts talking to him. And Jesus Jesus is like, hey, John, I have a message for you. Specifically, what we're looking at today, Jesus says, hey, John, write to the angel or the pastor or the leader of the church in Philadelphia. And John would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. See, Philadelphia was a, was a city um, that, uh, that had a church that John would have known of that wasn't that far away. Uh, by the way, this city, Philadelphia, obviously it's not our Philadelphia, okay, in Pennsylvania, different city. This uh, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania is probably named after that one. Um, this city, if you look at the map of modern-day Turkey, okay, this is the cities that we've been looking at where God specifically had a message to each church within the city. Um, Philadelphia was about 28 miles southeast of Sardis, the church that we looked at last week. And, uh, and it's, a, it's still there today. It's modern-day. Um, the city's called Al-Shahir, and it has roughly about 50,000 people um, living in it. And so uh, this city back then, back when John's writing this, 2,000 years ago, this city was a lot newer of a city than the other ones that we've been talking about. This city was founded only 150 years before the time of Jesus. It was founded by the king of Pergamum named Attalus II. Uh, Pergamum, that's the city that should sound familiar to, to a lot of us, all right? Mike talked about Pergamum. That was a church that John, that Jesus had had a message to that John wrote down, all right, just a few weeks ago. That was one of the churches as well. And so 150 years before Jesus um, was born, uh, the city of Pergamon was founded, and it was founded by this king who named it after his devotion to his brother, All right, We know, we've heard, because we're here in the United States, not far from Philly, that we've heard, you know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. You've heard that before? Okay, because in the Greek, that's what Philly... Phila and Delphia, all right, means put together. And so um, this city was founded because this king loved his brother so much. And so he had devotion to his brother. So he, he builds and founds this city. He calls it Philadelphia. Uh, but when John's writing this letter, this is probably the smallest city out of the seven cities, which means it probably had the smallest church out of the seven cities. 
And what made this city prosper is on a major highway, uh, east-west highway. And uh, the city was known for their temples. It was known for their beautiful buildings. In fact, it had so many beautiful buildings that it had a nickname back then called Little Athens. And even more than that, it was known for its vineyards and its wine. And actually, this area is still known for that today. It's because they got a bunch of like volcanic soil that the grapes grow really, really, really well in, um, again, even to this day. And so the city, they worship many gods, particularly the god, the god Dionysus, um, which is the god of wine. I would show you a picture of this god, but they're all like rated R. But the one cool thing about this fake god is that he had a pet panther, with that, which I think if you're going to have a fake god, might as well have something like that. Along with you, that'd be sweet. So anyway, uh, he had this pet panther. It's kind of weird. Um, but the city had this annual festivals every year where they just, it'd just be full of drinking and sex. Okay? And so that's what the city was known for. And Philadelphia was completely loved. I mean, they were loved by Rome. In fact, Rome viewed the city Philadelphia as like a trophy city to them. It's the type of place that wealthy Romans would vacation to every year. They would all go to Philadelphia, and they were, again, known, of their, known for their wine. It's kind of like how we would view Napa Valley today. And so Rome loved Philadelphia. All right? They cherished Philadelphia. They were faithful to Philadelphia. They adored Philadelphia. They called it the gateway to Asia Minor. And so this city, because of that, was a growing an extremely prosperous city. And life was great for these people until 17 AD. There was a huge earthquake within this region. We talked about this last week because this earthquake not only destroyed Philadelphia, but it also destroyed Sardis, the church in the city that we talked about last week. And so Philadelphia happened to sit like right on top of this fault line. And many, many, many people died. In fact, so, so, so many people died that a large majority of the population that was left, that survived it, left in fear of another earthquake. And uh, after this earthquake, there just was not a whole lot left of the city. Right? Things were not looking good for the city. That's why we have no pictures today, because the whole city has, been, has, been crum you know, has crumbled uh, to nothing. Um, Rome um, helped rebuild that city, which was good. But the aftershocks lasted for about 20 years. In fact, sometimes they would have earthquakes on a daily basis within the city. And so, and so especially within the 60s, it seems like whatever progress that the city made, there would be this huge earthquake that would just, it would knock everything down and everything would turn to rubble and lives would be lost. And so the city would just constantly, every time they build up, it's like they would go backwards. And the city, obviously they looked to Rome for help, but Rome at this point, after enough decades of earthquakes, they completely gave up on Philadelphia. I mean, Rome had been faithful to Philadelphia until they couldn't produce. And now they had completely lost interest. In fact, in 92 AD, this is maybe a year or two or three years right before this, this letter is written, right before the events of this in 92 AD, the emperor of Rome, um, he, he ordered that the vineyards of Philadelphia be completely cut down. And so at this point of the letter, the city's on, on major decline. And these people felt betrayed. That's the situation that this church finds itself in. But despite that, this church is one of two churches that seem to be doing things right. We talked about the first church, it was Smyrna, in the second week. All right, they had done things right. All the other churches had big issues. But Philadelphia, I mean, unlike the others, this church hasn't lost their first love. Right? They haven't compromised with culture. They weren't tolerant of sin. They weren't dead. They weren't lukewarm in their faith. And so while this church was not perfect, they are a really, really, really good example to us today of how we should look like as a church and how we should be. So what Jesus does first is he encourages them, and then he also uses it to give us a glimpse of what this church did right. 
And that's what I want to look at today. And so Jesus says, write to the church, or write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. And so right off the bat, Jesus, he reminds them about who he is. He says, thus says the holy one, the true one. The one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, who closes and no one opens. He starts off right off the bat. He's like, hey, he says, this is me. It's Jesus. And he's describing them. He's saying, or he's describing himself. He says, I'm the holy one, meaning I am set apart. Basically meaning I am different than you. Me and you, we are not the same, he's saying. He's saying, I am different. I am exclusively God. And I'm also the true one, meaning genuine, meaning the opposite of fake. He says, I am reality. Whether you feel it or not, whether you think it or not, it doesn't matter. He says, I'm true in reality, and I have the key of David. He's talking about the key to heaven. Here he is. He's saying, hey, I just want to remind you that not only am am I the holy one and perfect, and he says, I'm also true, and I'm not fake, like I'm, like I'm real. And he's like, and I hold the keys to heaven, which is a pretty important thing because he says, I own the keys to heaven, the keys to heaven and who opens, and I'm the one who opens the door and no one will close, and who closes the door and no one will open. Meaning he decides who goes in and who doesn't. In fact, it looks like Jesus right here, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah all the way back in the Old Testament during a different time a different culture, right, a different land, right? During that time, uh, Israel was, uh, was split into two. There was a southern kingdom named Judah. They had a good king. His name was Hezekiah. And they also had a kind of the leader of the city of Jerusalem whose job really was to take care of the welfare, welfare of the residents of the city of Jerusalem and lead them well. But this particular person, uh, this guy, he, didn't, he cared a lot more about himself than he did about God's people. And so God goes to the prophet Isaiah, and he says, hey, I just want to let you let." Our people know that I'm going to take this guy out. I'm going to replace him with somebody who actually cares. All right? This is what he says in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. This should sound familiar to what we just read. He says, I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder, and what he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. Sound familiar? All right? And so here on this day, all right, Jesus is introducing himself as, as basically that guy or that type of guy. And so these people, when they come into church this day, I mean, can you think about, can you picture it? Like 2,000 years ago, the people come into church on a Sunday morning, just kind of like what we're doing here today. And they, you know, there's like rumors going around. They're like, dude, we got, a, we got a letter from John. And they're like, oh, man, John, how is he doing? Is he still a prisoner on Patmos? You know, like that type of thing. And they're like, yeah. And he sent a letter. And not only that, but this is a specific message to us from God. Pretty intense. And so they're sitting there, and they've already gone through all the other churches, you know, or at least five of them, and, uh, and they're like, oh, man, ooh, that church, oh, these churches got some issues. You know, it goes to that. And then they get to them, and they're probably going, okay, what's God got for us? And God introduces himself this way. And when they hear this and when they read that verse, they're going, oh, okay. So God is introducing himself the same way, it's the same kind of type of person, a person with authority, a person who's trusted, a person who cares, like the guy that God was talking, that Isaiah was talking about thousands of years ago. They're probably making that connection. And so Jesus introduces himself to this hurting church, just like Isaiah described. He's like, it's Jesus, it's me. Right? I'm the one who's holy, the one who's not at all like you. 
who's exclusively God, who's completely real, who's, who is reality. In fact, he's the one who owns reality. He owns the key to heaven, and he's in full control. He's basically, he's Jesus saying, I'm the ultimate, infinite, all-powerful, holy God. He's saying, it's me. I am who God is, and I have a message for you, church, in Philadelphia. He says, and this is it. He says, I know your works. I, I've seen you. I've been watching you. All right, I've been studying you. I know everything that you do. I know everything that you think. I know the things that you want to do. I know the things that you don't do. He's like, I know your works. I've been watching you. He says, look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close. He's saying, he's saying, he's talking about heaven here, and he's talking about the future, and the future kingdom is what he would say. He's saying, he's saying I have placed before you an open door to heaven is basically what he's saying, all right? And he's saying, this is a door that nobody can close, which is a really good deal, right? Like, that's a good thing? All right? Because that means your enemy can't close it, or let's say the enemy can't close it, your mom can't close it, your teacher can't close it, the government can't close it, not even you can close it, which is good, because if you could close it, you probably would on accident, because we tend to mess things up all the time, right? Right, okay. All right, so that's... That's what he's saying. He says, no one can close the door. He's like, only, only I all right, can open it and close it, and there's nothing anybody else can do about it. He says, uh, but you have little power, all right? And this isn't a bad thing. He's not slamming them like, man, and what this literally means is like, man, you're so weak, all right? But he's not saying it like that. He's not saying, wow, you guys are so weak. I'm so disappointed in you. He's looking at it. He's like, he's saying, from every earthly standard, right, you're poor, these people, I mean, they got natural disaster, earthquakes rumbling all the time. You know, they've been betrayed by Rome. There's not very many of them. He's like, from every earthly standard, you guys appear weak, but you've kept my word, and you have not denied my name. He's like, but you've stayed true to the truth. See, unlike most churches, this church has stuck to the gospel. We all know what the gospel means. We all know what the gospel is. All right, sounds super churchy. I totally get it. Um, gospel literally means good news. That's what it means. That's what the word means. And so it was a word back then that they used because this was the good news about what Jesus did. We all know what that is, right? Or most of us. It's the news that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, for some reason, I don't even understand it. I don't feel like I can comprehend it. I know I can't um, totally get it. But God, because he loves us so much and I don't understand why, 2,000 years ago, he pulled off his glory, and he came down, was born in the dirt, lived a perfect life, and then we ended up putting him to death on a cross in the most horrible, really, way that anybody could die. And on that cross is even more than that. God tells us that he poured out his wrath that we righteously, rightfully deserved on himself. Well, why do you have to do that? Well, because God's perfectly holy and perfectly just. I mean, he can't just sweep sin under the rug. He can't. It's not what a righteous judge would do. It has to be paid for. And so the way the Bible describes it, he calls it debt. Saying we had this debt that we could not pay ourselves. Paying for that is eternity separated from him forever, which is something place that we call hell. And he's saying, hey, he came down and he made a way for us that we don't have to pay for everything we've ever done wrong that he actually paid for it. And so all we got to do now is actually, this is the great news. Not only did he pay for it, but now he's saying, hey, guess what? You can have a real deep relationship with me, your creator. By the way, I'm the one who you were created to have a relationship with, like it's deep within us somewhere. And he's saying, all you got to do is you got to invite me into your life. You just got to start a relationship with me. That's not something that we're born with. It's not something that we naturally have. It's not something that we naturally want to do. 
We naturally always rebel against God because we're selfish. We only think about ourselves. But here he's saying, you start a relationship with me. I've already paid for it. I give you this free gift. I paid for everything that you've ever done wrong. If you think about it, there's a lot of stuff, more than we could ever count. His standard is so high. It's nothing that we could ever earn. See, you didn't earn the, that door opened. You didn't. Right? You can, the good news is you can't also earn that door shut. We can't. See, that's what religion is. Religion is you work to open the door. Okay? You do all these things. You follow all the rules. You do, you know, somehow God looks down upon us and goes, wow, I'm so impressed. You did all that good stuff. Yippee. All right, come on up to heaven. Like, that doesn't happen. All right, it's us going to God saying, God, I cannot do enough good. There is no possible way I could somehow impress you. All right, I am not good. I need you and what you did for me 2,000 years ago. That's the gospel. And that's how we are supposed to go to God. And this church got it. See, unlike the church in Sardis that we talked about last week, this church is placing their faith in a relationship with Jesus rather than just religious ritual, which we see churches all around us doing all the time. That's why it's so important that we stick to God's word. See this book right here we call the Bible? All right, this book, it trumps culture, right? It trumps our beliefs. It trumps our opinions. It trumps, guess this, it trumps our experiences, if you haven't noticed, our culture and our society is constantly changing. See, church should be constantly changing to approach, uh, constantly changing our approach to reaching people. That's okay. All right, that's fine. We could change. That's why, you know, this building looks different than, your, you know, how we would naturally view a church building. That's why, you know, things can look different. We can have different styles. All that is okay. What doesn't change is his word. All right, what God says, this is what never changes. And the Bible applies to all cultures at all times. So that's why we here at Grace, that's why it's so important that we stick to the Bible. In fact, we have a, a saying that we say that our, really our, our group of churches that we're a part of that we've been saying for hundreds of years, saying the Bible, the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible. All right, that's what we here at Grace are all about. All right, it keeps us grounded. It's the only thing that we can 100% trust because it's the only thing that's 100% truth. Because it's from God, not from us. And so Philadelphia, they stuck with God's word just like we do. And we should always do. By the way, can I just say, if you ever come to church or our church for some reason, all right, stops believing in this book or stops teaching something other than this book, leave. Don't come back. All right, because this is what makes our church, right, this is what makes our church teach truth. If it's not truth, then why come? It's all about the Bible. That's what keeps us straight. And Jesus is commending this church, saying, man, you guys are sticking to the truth. And then Jesus says, he says, note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan. What is he talking about here? Some of you guys, this should ring a bell because we talked about this just a few weeks ago. All right, the synagogue of Satan, basically, they had these, like, Jews um, within the city of Philadelphia that think that they are true God followers. But what they're actually doing is they're just practicing religion, a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts of somehow to impress God, okay? That's not, that's not what we are, that's not, that's not how God interacts with us. See, when this church began, which was probably started by Paul, we know that Paul was in this area, he went to every city starting churches um, back in Acts, and it probably started within the synagogue. 
All right, that's what Paul did. Whenever Paul went to a new city, as he went and he first started teaching within the synagogue on, on Saturdays, and, uh, and most of the people of the first churches within these cities, most of the people were actually Jewish people that, um, that gave their lives to Jesus, because that's what Paul would go in and do. He'd say, hey, you guys have been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds and, you know, really thousands of years. Guess what? He came. It was Jesus just a few decades ago, and, uh, and we put him to death, and here's the deal. Here's the gospel. And a bunch of people would give their lives to Jesus. And so a lot of times, all right, even the leaders we see of synagogues would give their lives to Jesus. And they would become leaders of the church in that city. But something in Philadelphia changed. See, as the church grew louder and louder saying, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is our Savior. The synagogue had turned on them. And the synagogue and the Jews within these people, Judaism, they were, they were purposely making life hard for Christians. So think about for these guys, for, these, for this church, not only were these people feeling excluded and betrayed by Rome, but they were also excluded and betrayed by their Jewish heritage and by the synagogue, right? The place where probably a lot, most of them had grown up all their lives going to. And so Jesus recognizes this and he says, these Jews who think that they are doing good, they're persecuting the church, they are actually, he's saying, just a pawn of Satan who claim to be Jews Let's go back. Who claim to be Jews. Let's go, yeah, and are not. But they're lying. He says, I will make them come and they will bow down at your feet and they will know that I loved you. He's saying, I, someday I'm going to show them. Right? Someday I'm going to show them that I love you. See, these are people who think that I owe them because of all their good stuff that they've done. These are people who think I hate you, that I'm completely against you. He's like, no, no, no. I will show them that I actually love you. That you guys are actually my people because, he says, you have kept my command to endure. He's saying, Here the reason, here's the reason. You guys are committed to me. See, unlike the other churches, right, they haven't added Jesus with a bunch of religion or added to Jesus with religion and traditions. Right? They haven't, not like Sardis and Ephesus, where they were just doing a bunch of good stuff, but they were completely empty and completely dead on the inside. Not like Pergamum, who just kind of blended Jesus with their culture. They weren't like Thyatira, who tolerated sin within the church and just didn't care. See, this church was using God's word to keep them grounded and straight. And because of that, this church endured. Even though some of them were losing everything, even though they're going through a bunch of persecution, all this bad stuff is happening in their life simply because they were a Christian. So, and because of that, he says, I will keep you from the hour of testing. Now, what's the hour of testing? All right, this is actually an event that hasn't happened yet. That we see throughout the Bible that someday, all right, it's, it's a period of time that we call the tribulation period. It's the last seven years uh, before Jesus comes back. And it's this period of time where the world is so evil and people are killing each other at such a high rate. There's a bunch of wars going on, and then natural disasters will add to that, that God judges the earth during this time. Now, this, is again, isn't a time that has happened yet. It's still off in the future. And what Jesus is pointing to is he's saying, I'm going to keep you from that. I'm taking you out so you don't have to experience it. All right, so it's an event, kind of a separate event that we would call, that we call the rapture, which we see in Thessalon 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we are caught up, the church is pulled out um, before the time of tribulation happens. So this promise is not just to the church of Philadelphia, this promise is actually to all Christians, including us here today, because the church of Philadelphia, they weren't around for that time. We may be. We don't know. So if this were to happen in our lifetime, 
Jesus is going to come get us first so we don't have to experience the judgment that will come on the, on, on the whole earth. Now, that's not something that I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what that's going to feel like, but I'm sure it's going to be sweet, okay? So maybe it'll come when we're here. I don't know. He says he's doing this so we don't have to, to be, we don't have to be a part of um, the time period, the tribulation, when the whole world will be tested, right, and everybody who's, who lives on the earth. He says, I'm coming soon. See, here's a promise we see all throughout the Bible. This is what John talks about. Jesus, when he was doing his ministry here on earth, he was saying this all the time. Uh, you, got, you got Paul, he says this all the time. He's just like, man, he's coming. All right, this is the thing that Christians are like all pumped up about because it's like someday all our trouble will be taken away and God's going to pull that away and someday we will get to be his and he will be ours and we get to be with him. Someday he's going to take us up because someday he is coming soon. And he said he was coming soon 2,000 years ago. How much closer are we to that time than today? He says, so this is what I want you to do. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. He says, the one who conquers, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, this just means more to this church than it does to us. We read this, we're like, a pillar in temple? What is he talking about here? This is it's weird, all right? Um, but to this church, they're like, oh, it just means more. Um, back in 17 AD, from everything that I could read this week, it sounds like every building of the city crumbled. Like this earthquake just took out everything. All right, all the temples, all the beautiful buildings, just all down to rubble and a bunch of people died, you know. But there was one thing that was left standing and it was a big old pillar that I think, if I remember right, I think it was to the, to the temple of Zeus and uh, that they had located in the city. And so they had this big pillar and this big pillar was the only thing that was left standing out of the entire city. Everything else crumbled. All right, so here when Jesus says this, he's specifically talking to the church. He's saying, hey, the one who conquers, I will make like, uh, like that pillar. You know what I'm talking about? They're all like, you mean like that pillar that's still standing, that shouldn't be standing after all these earthquakes? He's like, yeah, that pillar in the temple of my God. So here he's connecting the two. He's like, he's like not only you know that pillar that, that is standing outside that, you know, that's been there for, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, that was too like a temple of a fake God. He's like, I'm going to make you kind of like that pillar where no one's going to be able to shake you. No, you're not going to be able to fall. All right, you're going to stand strong, but you're going to be like a pillar in my temple. And he will never go out again. He says, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God in the new Jerusalem. He's talking about a new city that someday is going to be, going to be built, we know. He says, which comes down out of heaven. It's about to be sweet from my God and my new name. He's saying, someday, you know what I'm going to do? All right, I'm going to give you my name because you're going to be mine. Not only that, it's like, it's like a tattoo almost. He's like, I'm going to write it on you. All right, I'm going to tattoo this across your body. I'm going to stamp it on you that you are mine, all right, and, uh, and I will be yours. All right, he says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. See, here is a church they got it right. Now, was this church perfect? No. There ain't no perfect church. Right? There's no perfect church. Right? There's no clean, pretty church. Like, that doesn't exist. Church is dirty. Right? Like, we're dirty. We're, we're filled. The churches are filled with sinners. But our church, our churches are also filled with people who have experienced life and salvation and freedom. That's what makes the church so good. By the way, if you, you shouldn't want a clean, perfect church because if you join, you just screw it up. Right? You would. Like you being here would ruin it. 
because you're not perfect. So here at Grace, yeah, we might be a little rough around the edges, but that should make you feel like home because we all are. And so this church in Philadelphia, they weren't perfect, but you know what they did do? They strayed, stayed true to the Bible, which kept them straight. They refused to bend to culture. And even though they have all this bad stuff happening in their life and all around them, they endured, meaning they stood their ground. They didn't give any up. And so for a people who felt betrayed by Rome, by the government, for a people who were betrayed by their synagogue, by religion, they weren't betrayed by Jesus. And so Jesus promises that no matter what they go through now, and no matter how hard life gets for us, because these promises are for us too, no matter what problems pop up in our life, he's just reminding us here today that he's there. And he's reminding us here that we as Christians, we're not supposed to be so focused in our narrow little glimpse of life. He's, we see this all throughout Jesus' ministry. What Jesus is constantly telling his disciples and the people following him to do, he's like, man, look at the big picture. Right? Pull out of your little narrow focused view of life. He's like, he's like, look at the big picture. Look at the end game. He says, someday we will live with him forever. He will even tattoo his name on us. And we will be his. And he will be ours. And so he's telling us to keep going. In fact, the words that he uses is he says, hold on. I'm coming. At the right time, you just hold on. Hold on to your faith. I've given you the Bible, my words, and this is what keeps us straight. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for these, for these words that you've given us, and thank you for the promise. You don't owe us anything. You don't owe us heaven. You don't owe us anything in the future. You owe us nothing good. But for some reason, you give. And you give, and you give, and you give, and you give. And you give so much that we don't even recognize it so many times. We take all this stuff for granted. And Lord, help us to pull out of our narrow focus and our little lives. And help us to look at the big picture. Help us to look at the end game. Man, there's so much that's going to, we have so much ahead of us. We can't even imagine how good it will actually be. Help us to look towards your words to keep us grounded. And God, we thank you. We thank you for everything. We ask this in Jesus' name.